How many have ever been taken advantage of because of identity theft? Is there anyone in the room? A few? All right. I, uh, we're going to be starting a series this morning on identity theft, and we're going to be going through a three-week series on this. Not talking about the physical identity theft necessarily, but the identity that God has for each of us that is being stolen continuously. Now, I remember one time my wife um, had her wallet stolen, and uh, she... Uh, we, did, we actually didn't know that it was taken. We thought it was misplaced. And then all of a sudden we got the credit card bill and saw that someone had gone on a shopping spree posing as my wife. And uh, they had purchased a whole bunch of items and different things like that. And, you know, if your identity is stolen, people can use uh, credit accounts in your name. They can start phone and utility accounts. Uh, they can take out loans. They can forge bank transactions, even file fraudulent tax returns. They can rent an apartment. They can even buy a house or even give your personal information when they're arrested and when you don't show up for court then a warrant can be issued for your arrest identity theft is a big deal identity theft continues to be a problem in our automated society no matter how hard we try there always be someone who can crack the code and cause great amounts of harm to our bank account to our credit rating and more importantly our personal sense of security But long before there were computer hackers or credit fraud or forgeries, there was a problem with identity theft. In fact, the Bible talks a lot about our true identity in Jesus Christ and who we are when we surrender our life to him. And so this morning, we're going to look at and see about who God created us truly to be. And uh, over the next three weeks, we're going to be studying about identity theft. And there are going to be three main Uh, sentences or three main focuses over the next three weeks. And the first week is going to be this, three main statements. And the first one is, don't allow the enemy to steal your true identity. So this morning we're going to be talking about don't allow the enemy to steal your true identity. Next week we're going to be talking about don't allow others to steal your true identity. And then the third one, and it's kind of a little different, it's don't allow yourself to give away your true identity identity in the third week. So this morning we're going to look at one of the craftiest moves that the devil has ever pulled. I want you to take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to Genesis chapter 1. It's right at the very beginning of your Bible, and it's going to give us the context of what's going on here at the beginning when God created human beings. This is where it all begins. God is making man, and he gives man a special identity. It's so mankind can realize that he was created by God. And so this morning, as we look at Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, it says this. It says, Then God said, Let us make human beings in our own image to be like us. They will reign over the fish and the sea and the birds of the air, the livestock and all the wild animals on the earth and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Skip down to verse 31. It says this. It says, Then God overlooked all he made, and he saw that it was very good. The evening passed, and the morning came, marking the sixth day. Let's pray this morning. Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to look to your word. 
And this morning, God, I'm praying that in a supernatural way, Lord Jesus, that you would reinstitute the image or the identity that you have placed inside each person in this room, though they may have had it stolen over their lifetime, they may have had it reinvented by thoughts or patterns in their life, but God, I'm praying today that you would bring spiritual wisdom and revelation in a powerful way, that you would restore the true identity that each person has in this room to be created in your likeness. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So right from the beginning, God created mankind in his image, in his likeness. Adam and Eve's identity was wrapped up in God. They were created by God for a purpose. They had great value, not because of what they had done or going to do, but what God had created in them. They were created in the image of God. And God, the Bible says, looked over all of creation in that moment. And he said, you know what? I like what I see. In fact, he says it's perfect. It's incredible. And God's fingerprint was on the heart of humankind in that moment. His identity was placed in them. God designed for man was to have his identity, God's identity, so that man and God's identity would be very close to each other. That man would always see those fingerprints, those, those identifying factors in his life. That, that man would know that he was continually loved by God. That man would know that he had value and that his value was not determined by what he did, but simply because of who he was. If you catch something this morning, that'd be really good to catch. You see, God's love for you is not determined by what you do. It's determined by who you are. So, mankind is great with his identity. Mankind, uh, Adam and Eve, they're so great with their identity. In fact, it says that they're so secure that they're walking around naked at this point. And now I know that might sound odd to bring up, but it's going to make sense in just a moment. They're so comfortable with their identity and what God had created them to be that, that they're just walking around nude. And that, that may seem like, oh, that's kind of a weird thing or something like that. But, but you'll actually see as we, as we move on in the story here that it actually plays a big part of what's going on and it shows us something. But there is something as we move forward that happens in this perfect state of them, their identity and God's identity being so close. And then something happens in the Garden of Eden that Satan enters the picture. Now, Satan, uh, described by Jesus in John 10.10, you have to understand the true nature of Satan. And Jesus said in John 10.10, speaking of the devil, he said, The thief comes only to steal and kill and to destroy. And then Jesus said, But I come that that you might have life and have it more abundantly. You see, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. And that is his main objective. The devil wants to destroy the closest thing to God's heart. And do you know what that is? You. Mankind. You're the target. You're the target of the enemies stealing, killing, and destroying. Uh, But there's something you also must know about the devil. Jesus talked to the Pharisees and he tells us in John 8, 44, it reads this way. It says, for you are the children of your father, the devil, speaking of the Pharisees, and you love to do evil things, the evil things that he does. He, speaking of the devil, was a murderer from the beginning. He has always hated the truth. 
because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it consists, or it's consistent with his character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. The NIV says that when he speaks, when the devil speaks, he speaks his native tongue, which is lying. He lies, he speaks his native tongue. So you have to understand that walking into the context of Genesis chapter 3. So if we want to flip over a couple pages and look at Genesis chapter 3, we're going to read through verses 1 through 7. And we're going to just kind of walk through this story here. We see that in verse 1 it says this, The serpent was the shrewdest of all wild animals and the Lord God, that the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, Did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Here's the enemy and he says, did God really say that? So the lying devil starts to challenge Eve's thoughts on God. Thoughts on God's character. Did he really say that? Is that true? Or did you just hear him wrong? Maybe he didn't really mean it that way. And, she, and he, the enemy tries to begin to twist these things that God has said. Trying to steal from her the truth. In verse 2 it says, of course we may eat a fruit or eat we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden the woman replied it's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat god says you must not eat it or even touch it if you do you will die you won't die the serpent replied to the woman god knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it you'll be like god knowing both good and evil the devil here completely contradicts what God has said. He says here, he it completely, he says, listen, whatever God told you, that's a bunch of baloney. Forget about it. Don't worry about it. God's just trying to withhold things from your life. You know what? The enemy uses the same tactics today. A lot of times people will be like, well, I don't really want to serve God because I think that this book is just a bunch of rules. Like, it's just a bunch of rules and regulations. God doesn't want me to have fun. And the devil's like, yeah, you know what? You're right. That, that's exactly it. God doesn't want you to have fun. He's keeping things from you. He doesn't want you to experience life the way that, that, that you could. He wants, he, he's holding back things from you. But the reality of the matter is, is that, that God really loves us so much that he has written in his word ways that we could play and have a great time and a great life without the danger. You see, it's kind of like my son. If, if my son, my young son was playing, uh, Xavier, my, my six-year-old son, and, and he is playing outside and, and he wants to play in the street all of the time, I have to run out of the house and I have to go get him and say, listen, Zave, it's great to play, but play on the grass, Okay. I don't want you to get hurt. I love you. And what if Xavier walked away as a six-year-old and he said, you're just ruining my fun. I said, no, I'm not ruining your fun. I'm just trying to keep you safe because I love you and because I care about you. And many times the enemy tries to use this lie. He tries to say, completely contradict what God is saying. And he says here, God's just holding something back from you, Eve. You should really experience every tree in the garden. God doesn't want you to enjoy yourself, and all it is is a bunch of lies. Just lies. Then the woman was convinced, verse 6. It says, the woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful, and its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom that it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it, and then she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. At that moment, their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt 
shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. Isn't that interesting? Remember that when they were in right relationship with God, they were very comfortable with their identity and who they were. They were fine with it. Everything was okay. But notice how interesting it is that when they give into temptation and sin, that all of a sudden shame covers them. And once that shame covers them, they've got to go find something to cover themselves. They're, they're walking in the shame that their image, which was before created in the image of God, was now somehow tainted. And then the devil slithers away with their true identities. The original identity thief. You see, guys, your identity is who you truly are. Whether you realize it or not, your identity is who you truly are. But the devil doesn't want you to know who you really are. He wants you to be trapped in his lies and held captive in your shame. And that's what his desire is. But this is where it gets exciting. You see, Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 32, he says, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Do you remember that the enemy was opposed to the truth? He was always in opposition. He doesn't like the truth. He doesn't speak the truth. He's a complete liar. And Jesus said, but you will know the truth, and that truth will set you free. You see, when you know your true identity in Jesus Christ, you are set free from all of the shame, all of the things that distort that relationship with God. What God thinks of you and the trueness of his love towards you. That you can live out your true identity in Christ when you come to the reality of the truth. Pastor Mike Bro wrote in a book entitled Identity Theft. In it he penned these words. He says, we feel guilty for what we do. We feel shame for what we are. A person feels guilt because he did something wrong. But a person feels shame because he is something wrong. Do you see how that can mess with your identity, he writes on? The Bible not only calls Satan the enemy of our souls, the thief, the father of lies, but also the accuser. Have you heard his accusing whispers? He says things like, you know who you really are. You're such a loser. You're a drunk. You're an addict. You're a junkie. You're a pervert. You're just stupid. You're so fat. You're plain ugly. You're a geek. You're unloved. You're so alone. You always have been and you always will be. Come on, let's just face it. That's just who you are. That's what the enemy will try and make you believe. You see, shame is an extremely dangerous enemy. But shame has met its match in God's grace. You see, shame says that because I'm flawed, I'm unacceptable. But grace says that even though I'm flawed, I'm priceless. Save your clapping for a minute because it'll get better, okay? We're just opening the package right here. You see, guys, 
Shame, it, it, it latches on to us and, and we don't live in the true identity that God created us to be because we think that we are these things that the enemy continues to lie to us about. We take on his identity for us instead of living in the true identity that God has for us. And you see, the, the grace of God is the thing that opened these things up. Shame says, I'm valueless, I, I'm worthless, I'm flawed, I'm unacceptable. But the grace of God says that even though I'm flawed and I'm not perfect, God still loves me pricelessly. I'm, uh, as a young preacher, I, the only way I can describe it, I was, I was probably a smash mouth preacher. Well, some guys that understand football terminology. As a young man, I was a smash mouth preacher. I could get in your face and make you feel uncomfortable in a hurry. But the older I get, my preaching is changing. And this is why. You see, I used to think that the most powerful message on the face of the planet was the message of wrath. Make people sweat. Force them into a place of decision. But I've come to realize over many years of reading God's word and getting close to the heart of God that the greatest force on the planet is simply not wrath, but it is God's love. It is far more powerful than anything that you could ever imagine. The grace of God extends beyond anything that you could ever do. And, and the incredible part about, about it, the, the greatest lie that the enemy wants to tell you and wants to lie to you is that God does not love someone because of what they have done or because we claim that is who I am. You see, God's grace looks far beyond that. He looks at the original identity, the stamp of his fingerprint on your heart, and he sees it, and he said, I created you in my image. Despite what you have done to try and destroy that, despite the choices that you have made, despite the lies that you have believed, I still see the stamp on your heart. And I love you not because of what you do, but because of who you are. Listen, guys, God hates sin. There's no question about it. In fact, God hates some of the things that we do. But God loves us desperately. Not because of what you do, but because of who you are. You have value because you have been created in God's image and the image that the enemy wants to steal from you and kill from you and destroy ultimately. And he wants to separate you from that love of God for eternity in hell. That's his desire. The devil tries to tell you that because you are flawed, you are unacceptable. But God says that even though you are flawed, I still love you. The greatest scripture, one of the greatest scriptures found in the entire Bible is found in Romans 5.8. It is the most quoted verse from this pulpit. It is this. It says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When you were at your worst, God was at his best. And that's how God demonstrates his love. He loves us. So here's the strong biblical application this morning that we want to look at. This morning I want to look at three different lies that the enemy tries to lie to us. Each of us. Individually. 
And you know what? One of these might be applicable to you. Another one might be more applicable to the person sitting next to you. But we're going to look at three lies that the enemy tries to lie to us. And then we're going to look at the truth found from God's word and see your true identity rather than what the devil is trying to lie to you. So the first one is this. The first lie that many people are led to believe through the enemy is this. You are worthless. You know, I don't know who who is in this room, and I don't know what you think of yourself when you look in the mirror. I don't know what situations and circumstances in your life have brought you to this place. But somehow, deep inside of your heart, if you're sitting here this morning and you're feeling worthless, I want you to understand that God says something drastically different about you. And this is what he says, found in Ephesians 2.10. For we are God's masterpiece He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Listen, the first thing you think, the enemy lies to you and wants to whisper to you that you have no value, you are worthless, and the things that you have done can never be rematched or you can never make up for all of these mistakes that you have ever done. Yet God looks at you in incredible love with tears streaming down your cheeks. How could you think that you would be worthless? You are my masterpiece. I created you in Christ Jesus anew. You can have a new beginning in this moment. You can be my masterpiece like an incredible painter paints over the old canvas of a painting so that he can create a new masterpiece. That's what God wants to do in your heart today. You don't have to live with that valuelessness anymore. You don't want to have to look in the mirror anymore and say, I'm worthless, I'm no good. God looks at you. He sees your heart as desperately wicked as all of our hearts are. He looks down and he says, you are my masterpiece. My masterpiece, I created you just the way you are. You look at yourself and you don't like what you see, yet that was the way I designed you just to be like that because I love you so much. You're my masterpiece. And then it goes on to say, so the reason why we can be anew in Jesus Christ is so that we can do the good things that he had planned for us long ago. It's, you see, guys, he created us for a purpose, each one of us, that we're not idly just floating through the universe on this ball, and it's spinning around, and, and, and it's all just chance. God created you with a plan and a purpose to accomplish the good things that he had planned for you a long time ago. You see, when he created Adam and Eve, and he put his likeness in his image, he created them in his image, he was thinking about Devin and Adam and Jason at the same time. He was thinking about each person in this room and how he could create them at the perfect time and that your mom and dad would conceive at this very moment so that you would be born, so that you would sit in this room today and though you may be feeling valueless in this moment, that God says, I have a great plan and a purpose for your life and I want you to just surrender to that plan. Are you willing to do it? It's out of the love that God has for you. And he says, you're my masterpiece. I created you anew in Christ Jesus to do the incredible things and the plans and the purposes that I have for your life. Why are you listening to the lies of the enemy? Don't do it. They're lies. Lie number two, you're trapped in your sin. Have you ever heard that voice before? I have. 
that you get into a cyclical pattern of something, of some form, and then all of a sudden you're sitting there going, you get to the place where you see a little bit of freedom, and then all of a sudden the devil comes and whispers in your ear, and he says, listen, hey, Sheldon, you don't even have to try anymore because you're trapped in your sin. You're trapped. The devil wants you to make you think that you will never be free, but I want you to understand there's good news. In fact, Colossians 1.14 says this, that God has purchased our freedom with his blood and he has forgiven all of our sins. Do you know what that means? That if your, per- if your freedom has been purchased, the enemy is trying to collect on a bill that is no longer good. It means like you are sitting in a prison cell and Jesus walks up and he unlocks the door and he flings it open and he says, I paid your debt, you can leave. But you know what the weird thing is? Is the devil is standing right there almost like the prison guard saying, you can't leave, you can't leave. You still